we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath again? For if when we were His enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having already been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? God, we understand that you came to find us when we were still sinners. When we wanted nothing to do with you, you chased us. When we turned away, you followed us. Even when we told you to get away, you poured in all the harder. Father, I'm so thankful that you don't ever abandon us or forget us. God, we've been learning about who you really are and what your character is. We want more of you. We're not satisfied with just coming to church or telling someone we're a Christian. We really want to know you. And the only right that we have is the one that you gave us. Because you came after us first. Not by any power of our own or any greatness of our own or any righteousness of our own. But just you, God. As we pause for a moment, God, just to think about you, maybe to create a picture of you in our mind's eye, not that that's you, to just think on you, meditate on you. Wednesday. Again, that's next week. Uh, 
uh, we're not going to be here. And I don't, what, what I really want to communicate to you guys is, it's not that, hey, we're canceling youth service. Go there if you want to. I mean, I really, really want each and every one of you guys to make it over there because it's not just something we're going to see what the church is doing, but that's going to launch us into our series as well. We are going to be doing a six-week series uh, up here on Wednesday nights, Ashes of Fire, leading up to Easter. And so that is going to be the start of it next week. We're just going to be over at the church. So I just want to make sure you guys uh, are aware of that and you guys can come sit with us, be ready to go. All right? You guys with me? Good. So this uh, past couple weeks, we kind of began like a mini-series uh, just talking about God. Looking at, uh, you know, we touched on some of the fundamentals of who God is. We talked about the Trinity and that wasn't, uh, you know, the, a big, crazy, amazing service, but it was, it was pretty educational and uh, we learned some good things. Uh, we talked about who God is. We talked about his sovereignty last week and how he's in control. Uh, and that was awesome. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to take just a little bit of a different approach talking about who God is. Anyone ever heard of UPS, the United, United Parcel Service? Is that what it stands for? What does it stand for? United Parcel Service? Is that what it is? I love, whenever I think of UPS, it's always a good thing because that means I'm getting something. That means there's something in the mail. And if it's in the mail, that means it's really cool because I couldn't get it in a regular store and I had to order it. And so I love thinking about UPS. It always means there's like a box coming. You know, I, when you shop for something, it's cool because you, you get it right then. But there's just an excitement of having a, a box coming to you. Uh, but anyway, uh, UPS uh, had a pretty famous tagline. And does anyone know what it is? Anybody? anybody? What? Yes, looking brown. Wow, man. You guys are either not awake or not. I don't want to say not smart. Maybe you just don't know about UPS. But it says, what, what can brown do for you? And in the commercials, they would all talk about you know, what, their, what their business could do for your business, how they could ship your packages all around, and how they could make your life awesome if you were a business owner. And so I want you guys to imagine if you were in God's marketing campaign and, and people came to you and you said, you have to market God to people. And we want you to use the slogan, what can God do for you? What would, what kind of things would you say? I'm curious. And I'm, gonna, I'm asking for your participation. You guys are still like, you're not going to know. A lot of, a lot of folded. I mean, how many people are folding their arms right now? It's ridiculous. I've never seen that many folded arms in a row. What would you say? What would you say? What can God do for you? I know this is like a pop quiz. I'm sorry to be. I'm sorry to jump jump on the atom. Okay, change your life. Okay. All right. Yeah. Can save you. Good. Good. I guess. Really good. What's that? He can fix things. All right. He could be a best friend. All right. Oh, he has to wake up. He can, he can give you some insight, some knowledge. What else? He can what? Give you, God will give you free stuff? I don't know that God gives you free stuff. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure right in his word he says, if you want to follow me, it'll cost you everything. So free, I, I, mean, I suppose. The gift of salvation is free, I guess. But it uh, depends on how you look at it. It doesn't cost you any monetary value. God, give you love. Cool. So we're going to kind of take a look at that kind of question tonight. And so we talked about the Trinity and who God is. We talked about what God's like and how he's in control. Uh, But today we're going to talk about what God does for you or what God does for us. 
And a lot of people, at times, we don't really like to think about that kind of thing because if you've been around the church long enough, we talk about worship and, and loving God, and it's never about what He does for us. It's about who He is. I don't want to confuse that fact with you guys tonight. It's definitely about who He is, not what He does. But I think if we're going to know God, it's kind of important to know what He does in our life. And uh, I'm probably going to drink a lot of water due to the cold, so you guys have to deal with that. So, so what we're talking about tonight, I just want to say a quick word of prayer, and we're going to get right into it. You guys buy guys with me. God, we just come before you. Uh, we thank you for this ministry. We thank you for, uh, I just thank you for each and every student on this place. God, you are an amazing God. And as we spent the past few weeks just talking about who you are, what you're like, and ultimately tonight, what you do for us. God, I pray that you would just illuminate your scripture. God, that as we read through the stories, we have just a it's an understanding of the context that, it, that the story was written in, and we have an understanding of what you want to communicate to us, God. And we want to know what you do for us, God. We give you this night. We ask this meeting. Amen. Amen. So, the passage I want to kind of break down with you guys tonight is uh, commonly known as the prodigal son. All right? It's a parable that Jesus told. And if you guys don't know what a parable is, some of you guys are kind of new to the church, Jesus talked in parables all the time. It's basically a story that had a hidden meaning. It wasn't necessarily something that was um, hidden that he didn't want people to understand, but you really had to kind of dig, dig below the surface to, to get an idea of what Jesus was saying. So this is one of his parables. This uh, particular story is about a, a boy, and many of you heard this before, he kind of completely turns his back on his father. He is, uh, the son is cruel. Yeah, he's rebellious. He could care less about what uh, his dad thinks. And we're going to take this story, we're going to look at it through a, uh, the cultural lens of when it was written. So we're, we're not just going to read it and say, okay, that's nice, but we're going to try to look at what was going on at the time it was written, what the people who were listening to the story would really understand if they heard it for the first time. All right? So I know the story is mostly about the son, but today we're going to be highlighting the responses of the father in the story. And um, it's pretty interesting, as I was studying for this, some of the versions uh, of the Bible don't even call it the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. They call it the story of the gracious father. And they don't even, uh, as you look at some versions, you can't even find it on the same heading. And we're going to talk about more about the father than we do the son. All right? And so as we look at this parable of the prodigal son or gracious father, it's, you look at the context of what's going on here. And you read that Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees. These were religious people who thought they had it going on and they knew what they were talking about. And this parable is one of three parables that Jesus is giving these guys. He's talking about uh, a parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep. And ultimately, he ends with this longer parable of the lost son. And in these, this parable, the father that we read about in this story represents God and the son represents sinners. Everyone who's a person just represents all kind of sinners and the rest of us, all right? And so, if you guys have your Bible, I want you guys to open up to Luke 15. You got, how many Bibles do we have? Make sure you have to get your Bible. If you have a smartphone, at least download a Bible, and then, then you can use that. If you don't have a Bible, look to the person next to you, but you guys, uh, if it helps, bring your Bible. Well, not next week, because we'll be at Ash Wednesday, but make sure you guys are bringing your Bible, because we're going to read it. Uh, and uh, it's, it's important that you have. It's important that you have. That's where I teach from. All right. And so it's kind of like your textbook. All right. So Luke 15, verse 11. We're going to look tonight at three things God does for us. 
three things God does for you. Some of them you've probably heard before. Some of them maybe you've really not given a whole lot of thought to. Right? First thing we learn about God and what he does for us is that God releases us. And that may not sound very significant to you, but I want to dig in and we're going to get started real quick. Luke 15, verse 11. It goes like this. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. It's pretty short. To recap what's going on, this is a parable Jesus is telling. It's not a real story, but Jesus is telling us to these Pharisees, these religious people, to, uh, to teach them a lesson. We'll read it again. He said, a man has two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. The Bible says, so... He distributed the assets to him. So basically what's happening, you have a young, young son who's going to his dad and said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want my money. I want what I have coming to, to me. Would you please give it to me? I want to kind of do what I want. And the verse goes on to say, what does the dad do? He does it. And on the surface, it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of just starting off the story. But if you go back to kind of the context of who he's talking to, it's not really just an intro to the story. This also has tons of meaning in it. And the Pharisees would have noticed right away that there's things kind of mixed up here. And uh, the Pharisees would have known that the story is a little bit off. And see, in their society, you got to understand, much like our society, that would be kind of weird if, if one of you guys went to your parents and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want whatever you're going to leave for me. That would kind of be, has anyone ever done that? No, it would be, has anyone's friend done that? It'd be kind of, kind of off. So the people listening to the story would be like, that's, that's weird. All right? And, you know, people, you know, you don't receive your trust fund at the age of 25. It just doesn't happen. Also with Jewish customs, uh, as these guys were kind of thinking about what Jesus says, they were pretty specific in the way people divvied up their property and their land and, and different things. And so they would have known that if the... the Father had two sons. They would have divvied up the first amount of uh, inheritance. They would have given the first son two-thirds. They would have given the second son one-third. And the Pharisees know that they, you don't get this until you die. And so the, the, it's a pretty, pretty significant start to the story because you could really translate what's going on and what the son says like this. Dad, not only do I just want my inheritance, but... Basically what I'm saying is, hey, I want to do what I want to do. I want to live the way I want to live it. And I kind of wish you were dead. That's really what he was saying. By saying, I, I want my inheritance. It'd be better off for me if you were dead so I could do what I want to do. Ouch. That, that wouldn't make me feel too good as a parent. And I don't know about you guys, but if I went to my dad and said, Dad, I, I kind of wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. It wouldn't go over too well. I'd probably get a backhand to, to the ground. And I know uh, it's all about, you know, you're not allowed to, to hit or spank anymore. And I'm sure me and Julie are going to have discussions about whether we spank the child or not. Uh, but in, in my day, I don't know about you guys, but I would have got backhanded. I would have got, got beat down if I talked to my dad like that, told him, hey, dad, I don't really care about you. I kind of want my stuff. Uh, that would be, if you could accommodate me, that would be good. All right? And so uh, I, I've done that to my dad. I've gone and told my dad some bad news. And I remember, uh, you know, I've 
share my testimony with some of you guys uh, the last couple of weeks, and uh, I showed it in great, uh, shared it in great detail back in November when we did the What's Your Secret series. And, and I remember going to my buddies and be like, yeah, I'm going to tell my dad kind of what's been going on and, and what I've done. And they immediately were like, oh, you, you can stay at my house. I mean, they knew going to your dad to tell something that he didn't want to hear was not a good thing, especially my dad. It was not going to be not going to be good. So um, it's kind of similar. This dad would have uh, not been too happy. But the story goes, he, he gave him what he wanted. It's crazy. Uh, and and you, you think back to that culture, I mean, this dad would have been humiliated. This dad would have been uh, disowned. When you have a son that disowns you and kind of rejects you, it's not, it's not a good thing. All right? as, a, as a culture, you, you basically failed as a dad. And the only option a dad would have in that culture would be to disown his son. That was the appropriate response. The appropriate response wasn't, hey, son, you can have whatever you want. Here you go. The appropriate response is like, well, you're cut off. You get nothing, and good luck on your own. That would be the appropriate response. But no, verse 12, he distributed his assets to him. It's crazy. This, I mean, this punk kid who doesn't care about his dad, doesn't care about anyone but himself, gets what he asked for. And his dad deserves to lose it on him, go ballistic, and backhand him, but he doesn't. And at this point in the story, the people listening would have looked at Jesus telling the story, and they would have started to look down on this dad in the story. They would have started to look at him like a spineless, weak father. Someone who couldn't control their children, someone who couldn't make their children do what he wanted them to do, someone who failed as a dad. That's who the people would look at in the story. But the truth is that it takes a lot more courage and strength and love to let someone walk away rather than to force them into submission. Think about that. It takes a lot more love for someone to let them go than to simply take them, force them, make them do what you want them to do. And this action is an incredible action just demonstrating this incredible love. And he releases his son, even though it cost him dearly. It cost him a tux. It cost him his assets. It cost him his, his, kind of his name, kind of his, uh, his uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah! Reputation. That's why I got the guys in the back. Reputation. It cost him those things. It hurt him. And God does the same thing for us. He gives each and every one of us a choice. He lets us go. You don't think sinuses are too big a deal? Then you get into worship and you start singing, and all of a sudden cavities start doing different things, and your, your, your brain goes all crazy. So I'm all over the place right now. But uh, jump back in here. We're going to get on to uh, verse 12. Oh, no, we already did that. We're going to go on to verse 13. Verse 13. So uh, the father lets his son do whatever he wants. He gives, it, he gives them his assets just like... Um, God does to us. He says, you know what? You can do whatever you want. Jesus doesn't make you follow him. Jesus doesn't uh, make you submit to his authority. He releases you. 
All right. So we look at the outcome of that in verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field, fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the, from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him it. So here's what happens. The son asked for his release from his father. He asked for all his assets. He asked for all his money. He goes off. He takes off. He spends it in wild living. He runs out of money, famine hits, he doesn't know what to do, so he tries to get a job. He ends up working as a pig feeder. He ends up starving, and he actually gets jealous of the pigs because the pigs have more food than he does. Not a good situation. I want you to picture it like this. As you read in different texts and different versions of Scripture, uh, that one said, my, my text said foolish living, but some other texts say riotous living, loose living, prodigal living, wild living. The idea is that it expressed extreme wastefulness, promiscuity, moral depravity. So it would be as if, uh, in today's culture, as if you had some kind of celebrity with lots of money and you saw all these headlines of him squandering and wasting their money and getting drunk and doing all these things. Kind of maybe like a Lindsay Lohan or a Charlie Sheen. You guys know what Charlie Sheen is? Kind of, kind of like this. This is some headlines from Charlie Sheen in the past, past year. Charlie Sheen rushed to hospital after a wild party. Charlie Sheen writes a $30,000 check to prostitute. Charlie Sheen defends his party ways. Charlie Sheen hospitalized after a 36-hour horse party. Charlie Sheen, bad boy extraordinaire. And in an article in USA Today, quoted someone at one of Sheen's parties who described the event as a night of partying with lumps of cocaine the size of tennis balls dumped on a table so that the actor could smoke the drug every couple of minutes. And so that's the kind of image I want you guys, that's what's going on with this, this son. He kind of went off to kind of his Charlie Sheen moment where he thought he could do whatever he wanted with all his money until he ended up in a pig pen wondering what he would eat. And if you guys can imagine feeding pigs It'd be pretty rough, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there aren't any pig farmers here uh, tonight. But that was particularly bad. I mean, that was the low. You're a pig farmer? Really? On like Farmville? Oh, for real? <laughs> All right, so, so if you got questions, I really want to relate to this scripture text. Make sure you ask Paul. He's going to fill you in on what it So I hope you're not offended when I talk about how bad being a pig farmer is. That's okay. But it was particularly bad back then. See, uh, being a, a Jewish boy, pigs were an unclean animal. You couldn't eat pork, you couldn't eat bacon and these different things. And so they really weren't supposed to have any contact with them. And so this was the lowest of the low. This would be like if your job was to clean bathrooms at a dirty gas station, and you had no gloves, and you had to do it by hand, and you had to use your spit as your soap. Like that's... That's how nasty this job was. That's how bad and low it had become. All right? And so we move on in verse 17. It says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? Here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired 
hands. And so what's going on here is the son really realizes what's going on. He realizes, hey, you know what? I looked at my father, I looked at my dad as someone who kept me from doing what I wanted to do, kept me from living out my plans, but really he was a loving, caring, kind father that only wanted the best for me. And he, he begins to think, man, the slaves, the servants at my dad's house ain't better than I do. I'll go back to him and I'll, he, he'll, he'll, he probably will reject me. He probably won't really love me that much, but at least maybe I can work for him and I will earn that of a slave. And that's kind of, sadly, what happens in many of our own lives. We have to kind of hit rock bottom where we have to hit this place in our lives where we realize that even though God's released us to do what we want, even though God says, hey, you know, I'm going to give you the free choice. That's who I am. That's what he does for you. He says, you know what? I'm not going to force you into loving me. I'm going to not force you into coming to church. I'm not going to force you into following the contract of front line. I'm not going to force you to go to a prayer meeting. I'm going to let you live the life the way you want. That's what I do for you. That's what a loving father does. He lets you make decisions on your own. And I'm sure many of you can relate to what your far-off country would be as, as the, the, the prodigal son went off to some far place. I'm sure you guys have some far-off place. It might not be a particular lifestyle, but it could be something small. You know, whether you want to date a certain you know, guy or girl, and, and you know that's maybe not God's will for your life, but you're like, hey, you know what, God? I want to do what I want to do now, and I want to go do it. And I'm, I'm going to kind of ignore what you want for my life, and I'm going to do that. Maybe it's, you know, going to see certain movies or the way you want to spend your time. That's the same thing. It might not be a lifestyle of cocaine, but it's saying the same thing to God. God, you've given me free will. I don't want to submit myself under your authority. I want what I want now. I want to do the things that I want to do. I want my inheritance. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to go live life for myself. And I want you guys to think about that tonight. That's what God does for you. He loves you so much that He does not force you to love Him. That's huge. Up until this point, we've really talked about the Son for the most part. We're going to switch. We're going to look at the Father. We're going to look at the Dad in this story. And we're going to relate Him to God. The second thing that God does for us, if we were pitching this, what God does for you, is that God runs to you. That may not, sound very, may not sound very profound, but it is. I want to read the next couple of verses. This is such a powerful illustration of God's love for us and, and what he does for us. And here we get to look at the father in this story. He begins to become the main character. It says this in verse 20, if you guys are following along. It says, so he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
And again, it's just a simple parable, but if you, you begin to put yourself in the context of the story, in the context of the time, in the context of the culture that's going on, you begin to notice a few things. And, and the fact that the father was running to the son says a lot about who God is and what he does for us. There's three things about the father's de- uh, behavior that demonstrate the power of God's love. First is that as you read the story, it says that the father spotted the son from a long way off. He spotted the son from a long way off. You just read through the story and really not pay attention to that, but that's a big deal. I mean, if you just happen to see him, that doesn't mean the son kind of got his attention and said, hey, dad, I'm over here. That means the dad was waiting, looking intently down the road, waiting for his son to come. You got to imagine that dad going day in, day out, staring down that road, just hoping, man, I wish my son would come home. You could imagine that he would probably change up his routine, his the daily things he used to do to make sure he, his path would cross the road. So we just get a, a second glance just to be able to look at the end of the day. Is my son coming home? Whatever the case was, we know that the dad has had this hope in his heart, longing for his son to come back. Second thing, not only was did he see his son from a long way off, but it says he ran to him. And this isn't a brisk walk or a little extra hustle in the dad's step. This is a big deal. The original Greek word was, and I'm probably not going to say it wrong, I was trying to get on my computer and do the thing that speaks the word, but I couldn't find it. But it's T-R-E-K-H-O, trek-O, all right, which means to run. Person in haste of those who run a race or, or a course. The word in Greek writings uh, occur denoting an extreme peril which it requires the exertion of all one's effort to overcome. In other words, this man was tearing down the road like no other. He was sprinting. And this is like a movie scene. And you're like, yeah, so big deal. So the dad loved the son, so he ran. But again, you go back into the culture of what's going on back in that day. People of his stature didn't run. First of all, he was probably wearing a skirt type thing, a little robe. He would have had to pull this up to run or else he would have tripped and fell on his face. He would have exposed his legs, which was pretty much against culture and what they used to do back then. And it also would have looked really dorky and his friends would have made fun of him. All right? It's just, it's just what would have happened. Secondly... Again, people in his position didn't run. Kids ran. They ran around. Slave servants, they ran around. But the dad of that culture was kind of more of a slow, deliberate type walk. He was a man of, man of position. He doesn't run around. Like the President of the United States doesn't run around. He's the man. He does what he wants. He walks from place to place. That's how culture was. This father, the head of this estate, would not have been sprinting around. Except in this case, he breaks all protocol, all regular cultural norms, and he sprints like no other to his son. And that's just how God does it. I mean, God comes after us. No matter what we've done, instantly, as soon as he sees us, as soon as we turn and repent for what we've done, that's what God does for you. He runs after you. He runs after us. That's what he does. That's who God is. The third thing that you notice in this picture of the father running after the son 
is that he was probably sprinting to protect the sun. You gotta imagine if you were the if you were the Charlie Sheen uh, loser who wrecked your dad's life and disowned him and humiliated him, and you were the guy who took all the inheritance and squandered it, you would probably not not walk back into town with a smile on your face and everyone would be like, yeah, woo! You would kind of be like trying to sneak in, trying to figure out where, and everyone looking at you would probably be pretty ticked off. They're like, oh, we can't stand you. You're a bum. And so the dad was probably running out to make sure he got there before anyone else did. So that anyone who said anything against the son, whatever they said, didn't matter. And that's the same way, uh, in the same way God runs to us. In the same way when you repent, when you turn to God, God runs to you, He wraps you in His arms, and anything anybody says about you or what you've done doesn't matter at that point. There is no shame because He's got you and He's protecting you. And if you've never read the story, looking at the Father's view, it's just awesome to be able to relate that the Father and this this protection that he does, sprinting to you to cover you. And I know in my life there's been times where I've screwed up th things pretty bad. And I'm sure you guys have done things where you've screwed up pretty bad. And it's tough to be able to, to go and repent. And you still see people looking at you, accusing you, pointing things out, and being like, That's, you're not really repentant. You're not, you're not really uh, living the life you should. I, I, I know who you were yesterday. See, God doesn't care. God looks at your heart. And God runs to you. That's what He does for us. Not only does He release you to go do whatever you want, and He runs to you. He wants you so, so badly. There's one more thing that God does for us. And I want to close with this last thing. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to read Luke 15, 21, I'm sorry, 22 to 24. It reads like this. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And I love this part of the scripture as it ends. And the third thing God does for us is he restores us. You notice in the story, the son didn't come home and the dad didn't say, all right, I'm glad you're home, but we're going to have to work on this. You're going to have to rebuild my trust. You're going to have to start off as a slave. You're going to have to work your way up. You're going to be on probation, so to speak. You're going to have to prove yourself. He doesn't say any of that. Son wasn't required to prove his worth back into the family. Son didn't even really finish asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness was already his. Just by showing up, the dad in the story says, you are forgiven. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I am waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. I've run to you. And forgiveness is yours. And that's amazing. That's what God does for us. That's what God does for me. That's what God does for you. When you come to God, 
instantly He restores you. He forgives you. Each of these things that the dad gives kind of show us something in culture, kind of give us some insight to what it means for a dad to restore his son. It says four different things. It says he gave him the best robe, a ring, a pair of sandals, and then they were instructed to kill the fattened calf. And each of these items, like I said, has special significance. The first one is this, this robe. And this was this expensive garment that each household would have for, for guests, or it might be a specific garment that they would use only in specific times. Only in the best of times would they get out this robe. It was kind of like, uh, like a tuxedo almost of nowadays. Right? You wouldn't use it for any other time except this time. And the significance of that is huge. It's, it's just... The significance of that is this something that you would only wear during this wedding, this celebration, this party. It goes back to what God does for you. He's so excited to, to celebrate you coming home. The second thing is this ring. And the ring is important because a ring back then pretty much gave you, the, had the, the family seal on it, and you could, you had the authority of the family. So you had the, the, the family's assets at your back. And instead of the, the father telling the son, you, you know, you're going to work your way back into my authority, you're going to work your way back into having my assets and my wealth and, and my land, he's like, I'm going to give it right back to you. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give you that ring, and everything I have, again, is yours because you came to me. Even the sandals, the sandals represent the sun being on a whole different level than everybody else. See, most people didn't wear shoes. If you were the servants, you probably walked around barefoot, and the sandals represented the son being a different class. He was, he was a norm with the family. He was a son or a daughter. He was privileged. When you wore sandals in that house, you were a privileged person, something that you had that nobody else, not nobody else had, but that every other person who was of lower status didn't necessarily have. Lastly, he gets the fattened calf. The dad says, you know what? I love you so much. I want to celebrate this. This is an awesome experience. When you come to me, angels in heaven, we celebrate. This is the kind of celebration we want to have. And it's not like, you know, my in your house where we have meat every day back then. Back then, you would kind of raise your farm and you, you, would, have, you would feed animals especially you would, feed them for, uh, you would feed them so that you could kill them to have certain festivals where you could eat. And you would have uh, special dinners with these special animals. And you'd have meat. And the story goes on. And it talks about this, how the dad just goes all out. And he says, I don't want to just welcome you in halfway. I don't want to welcome you in kind of. But I'm going to kill the fattened calf. I'm going to kill the best of the best that I have. And that's what God does for us. Not only does He release you, not only does He run to you, but He restores you. Not just to kind of halfway, not just to partway, not just to a little bit better. He restores you to a full heir in the family. He restores you to a full son or daughter. He says, you can have my ring. Everything in my authority, I give to you. You can put on sandals. You are a, you are a new creation. You don't have to walk around like a slave anymore. 
Here's some shoes for your feet. We're going to celebrate. I love you so much, I'm going to prove it by killing the fattened calf. And tonight, some of you guys are probably, you could probably relate to this story in so many different ways. Some of you, some of you can relate, and you're, you're a son or you're a daughter, and, and right now, you're still in that other country. You still went off, you said, you know what, God, I want to kind of do my own thing, and I want to figure it out for myself, and I don't care what you think, but I want my inheritance, I want to take it, I'm going to do what I want. Some of you, that's you. Some of you, maybe you've You want to come back to God, but you, you just get that feeling like, you know what? I just don't know if He's going to accept me. I don't know if He's going to love me. I've done so much wrong, and, 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 and when we start to live a life of sin, these kinds of things start to creep in onto us. These kinds of things, these kinds of thoughts, these kinds of ideas begin to creep in, and it's hard. You know, we think of our earthly dads, and we when we think of how much we screwed up, it's kind of scary to go to them. But I want to assure you that God's not like that. God's not going to hold you accountable for your sin. He's going to wash you. He's going to say, you know what? I'm, going to, I'm, I'm right here waiting for you. Don't think that I'm disappointed in you. Don't think that you're going to come to me in prayer and that I'm not going to, you know, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere to be found. I'm going to be sitting there. I'm going to be ready to sprint to you, to wrap my arms around you. You want to confess to me. You want to confess to someone. There's nothing that people are going to say. There's nothing that they can do. There's nothing that they can harm you with. So I'm going to wrap my arms around you and protect you. God wants to restore you wherever you are, whether you're far from God, whether you uh, are on this bubble, in this fence. Some of you guys tonight have a relationship with God. That's great. But I kind of wanted to close, in, close tonight with, with kind of offering you guys a chance to restore some of your lives. And as the son did in this, in this parable, as you, as, you, as you look at what God does for us, he restores us. I didn't want to close without praying specifically for those people. I know last week we had a, a couple students come up that you know, said, and I don't really have much of a relationship with God. And I, I, I would bet and wonder that there are some students out here tonight that maybe want to get right with God. They want to kind of come back. They want to talk to God and they want to say, you know what? I'm done living my life the way I want. I'm done running. I'm done living my life for me. And, and we, we don't do this very often on Wednesday because we, we typically think of Wednesday night as the church kid or the kid who already gets it. But I know that's not always true. It's typically on the Friday night where we look at, oh, uh, someone who doesn't know God and we do these things. But I want to give you guys an opportunity as we close uh, just to kind of reflect on what God does. Reflect right now that, man, God's released you. Where has that led you with your own choices? I want you to reflect on God running to you. And you tonight, I want to specifically pray for this person. Someone who wants God to restore them. I want to pray with that person. We're going to be dismissed. And if it's you, who you've never had a relationship with God, you've never really been fully restored 
with God. I want you to pray with me. I want you to come up after. I'd love to continue to pray with you, and then everyone else will be dismissed. You guys pray with me? God, we come before you, and I just thank you so much for uh, the story of the lost son. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for what you do for us. God, it's amazing to think and to know that you give us free will, that you release us. God, I also thank you that you are God who, despite our free will, despite the decisions we make, you're waiting there. You're waiting there like a dad, looking down the road intently, waiting for us to show up. God, and when we do show up, God, you restore us. God, I pray that you'd be speaking to the hearts of students tonight. God, if if it's this student for the first time, maybe has not had that restoration, they've not seen what you can do for them, they've not seen what God can do, they've not seen that restoration, they've lived a life apart from you, they've lived a life away from you, they've lived a life in a distant country, so to speak. God, I pray that you would begin to work and you'd begin to move, you'd be able to speak to to the heart of that person. And if that's you tonight, I want you to kind of repeat this prayer after me. God, I admit that I am a sinner. God, I admit that I have rejected you. God, I admit that I've tried to live life my own way. God, the story that you've written in Scripture spoke to me today. God, I've realized that you are a loving God. I've also realized, God, that I need to to repent. I need to come back to you. God, I need to leave the life I've been living. And I need to seek after you. God, I know that you are waiting there for me. God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, just like the father in the story forgave the son. God, I want to know what it means to be a son or a daughter of the living God. God, I want you to restore my relationship with you. I want you to restore my life. I want you to to take my life that's at some points been in a a pigsty, has been in a mud and, and filth and mess, God. I want you to restore it. I want you to make me a son or a daughter. God, I want that tonight. Father, forgive me of my sins. Restore my life with you. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you tonight and you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to...